It's only a kick. A jump. A block. It's only a serve. It's only a tackle. A run. It's only for the fans. After all, it's only pressure. You got this. Adidas. The tragic story of a young Vancouver police officer and the bombshell her grieving family dropped on the VPD and police board. A once promising pro football player off to prison for life. I'm very happy with the judge's decision today. How soon former BC Lion Josh Bowden can apply for parole. And bad timing at some local beaches. Why swimming is not recommended just as the hot weather hits. You're watching Global BC. This is Global News Hour at 6. Good evening and thanks for joining us. Sophie is off tonight. Three years after Vancouver police officer Nicole Chan took her own life, Global News has learned her family is suing the Vancouver Police Department. Chan's death prompted an investigation which led to two of her superior officers leaving the force. And a warning, the details of this story might not be suitable for all viewers. Catherine Urquhart reports. Following nine years as a Vancouver police officer, Nicole Chan died by suicide. Now, three years after her death, the Vancouver Police Department and two former senior members of the VPD are among those named in a civil suit, filed by Chan's sister and mother. She was just such a proud officer. She was proud of her work and she was proud of being able to basically speak out for the victims. The civil suit details troubling allegations involving former Sergeant David Van Patten, her human resources officer, and former Sergeant Greg McCullough, both with whom Nicole Chan had sexual relationships. The suit claims Sergeant Van Patten attained Sergeant McCullough's cellular phone and scrolled through media, wherein he discovered evidence of the intimate relationship between Nicole and Sergeant McCullough. It claims Van Patten took a video of himself scrolling through the phone for the purpose of threatening to disclose the affair, and that Van Patten threatened to send the evidence to their spouses if she did not comply with his demands for sex. I believe that she felt pressured into it, and she was not in a good mental state to um, basically tell them no. She felt like she couldn't say no to them. Also detailed in the lawsuit, Nicole Chance medical health challenges, including her first attempted suicide in 2012, years before her relationships with Van Patten and McCullough. It states the employer was made aware that Nicole suffered from severe mental distress triggered by intimate relationships, and Van Patten knew or ought to have known that Nicole was a vulnerable person with a recent history of mental distress related to intimate relationships. It's a tragic set of circumstances and that one of our officers died by suicide in that event, and it's something that has really rippled through the police department and is heartbreaking for all of us. And we, we really feel for the Chan family that have to go through um, the aftermath of this. The suit alleges Nicole's suicide was a result of wrongful conduct and workplace culture at VPD, which had ineffective guidelines and policies. The family is seeking general and aggravated damages. Statements of defense have not been filed, and the allegations have not been proven in court. Catherine Urquhart, Global News. 
Vancouver police have released video of a person of interest after a woman was sexually assaulted downtown earlier this month. The 26-year-old woman is seen on camera as well, walking near West Hastings and Hornby just after midnight, June 11th. A man she didn't know grabbed her from behind and sexually assaulted her. She fought him off and chased the person away. The man they'd like to speak to was recorded on the same camera following her. They believe he's in his 40s. So this woman did absolutely everything right. She fought off her attacker um, and she called 911 immediately as soon as it was safe to do so. So because of her quick actions, uh, investigators were able to secure important evidence, one of them being the video that we are releasing today. If you recognize the man in this image, you're being asked to call Vancouver police. It has been 13 years since a 33-year-old Burnaby mother was found murdered in her own home. Today, some closure. The former BC Lions player found guilty of killing her has been sentenced. He was found guilty of second-degree murder last year, a conviction that carries an automatic life sentence with no parole for a minimum of 10 years. And as Kristen Robinson reports, today's decision was about parole eligibility. BC Supreme Court Justice Arnie Silverman decided former BC Lion Josh Bowden should serve 14 years in prison before being eligible for parole, a sentence Kimberly Hallgar's family describes as firm and fair. It's a sad day, but, you know, again, I have gratitude that I'm here and we finally have some closure. Family members clapped from the courtroom gallery when they heard 14 years. Crown was seeking at least 15 years while Bowden's defense counsel argued he should serve 12 years before any chance of parole. The lack of remorse and admittance to, to the crime is, you know, really not that great. And, you know, however, uh, that's not me that has to live with that. That's somebody else, right? Bowden was found guilty last fall of second-degree murder in Hallgar's death. The 33-year-old's body was found in 2009 in the Burnaby home she shared with her three-year-old daughter. Bowden, her ex-boyfriend, was charged in 2018. The former CFL wide receiver viciously beat his ex-girlfriend, stomping on her neck and chest and choking her before staging the scene to make it look like she died accidentally after ingesting drugs. All aggravating factors, according to Crown, who argued Bowden killed Hallgarth because he was convinced she'd ruined his football career by telling coaches he was abusive to her. Nothing's ever going to bring uh, Kim back. She's very missed and, and she was loved. Defense argued Bowden was exposed to drug use and verbal abuse at home as a child and was sexually abused as a minor by a much older woman. Justice Silverman says he was encouraged to learn the now 35-year-old recently graduated with honors after upgrading his education and reduced the parole ineligibility period by one year. How do you react to what he said as he was taken out of the courtroom? You know, it's, it's not even a human being to me. It's not even... Uh, I, I have no comment. Bowden did not address the court. The justice wished him good luck, and as he was being led away by sheriffs... He called out, have a good day, to no one in particular. Kristen Robinson, Global News. After an unseasonably cool, wet spring, many British Columbians are welcoming a much warmer weekend ahead. Even downright hot in some places. But as our Paul Johnson shows us, that does come with some risk. How high will it go? After a cool and wet spring that prolonged the winter snowpack in our mountains, 
The arrival of hot weather over much of the province will mean major rivers like the Fraser and Thompson will see their biggest flows of the year in the coming days. We do anticipate that this is uh, certainly going to drive up snowmelt rates across the province where there is snow. Already there's a flood warning for the Cornell River and a flood watch for the entire northeast part of the province. While officials are warning people in flood-prone areas to be prepared with evacuation plans and to clear debris from nearby drains and waterways. Their modeling shows the melting snowpack only triggering modest rises in river flows so far. But they caution, those rivers will still be running high. We're certainly anticipating that rivers are going to remain elevated, um, unseasonably high throughout uh, into July and throughout the, the, the early. And one consequence of high water and hot weather will be the tendency for people to make bad decisions about recreation near dangerous rivers, where banks may be unstable and currents especially treacherous. If you have any doubt about what you're doing and your abilities, stay well away. And finally, officials on Friday gave an update on the status of wildfires below normal activity for this time of year thanks to the wet spring. After last year, you could bet most British Columbians will happily take that. Paul Johnson, Global News. Let's hope it stays that way and we'll bring in our senior meteorologist Christy Gordon now with a little perspective on what we can expect in the heat this weekend compared to last year, Christy. Well, today the temperature certainly soared, Chris, but it's really Saturday, Sunday, and Monday that we'll see the peak of the heat. Here's a look at some of the numbers for the South Coast, where the hottest day will likely be on Sunday. So we're talking about 27 to 32 degrees around Metro Vancouver. By comparison, last year, though, we had up to 41 degrees, and I'll need someone to change my graphic for me. So this is really looking at 10 degrees lower than what we saw last year, and also overnight lows will drop down to about 15 degrees. So you will get that relief from the heat. In the interior regions, we could see the peak of the heat at around 36 degrees in Lytton. So uh, by comparison, uh, Lytton hit 49 degrees. So significantly less of uh, those peak temperatures and also will get that relief at night, Chris. So uh, the hottest day, though, for the interior will be on Monday. So I urge everyone to be aware it's Tuesday that we'll finally see significant relief. All right. Thanks very much, Christy. And we'll check in a little bit later for the full forecast as well. Now to the ruling heard around the world. The U.S. Supreme Court has overturned Roe v. Wade, ending constitutional protections for abortion that had been in place in the United States for nearly 50 years. The decision has already brought an end to abortion in many states that had so-called trigger laws, and many more are expected to follow. Global's Reggie Cicchini has more. This decision from the U.S. Supreme Court is only just beginning to resonate across the country. The 6-3 decision from the conservative majority upheld a Mississippi case that came before them that bans most abortions after 15 weeks. That immediately overturned Roe v. Wade and Casey v. Planned Parenthood, ending nearly 50 years of precedent in allowing a person to make decisions about their own body and health. It now puts states in charge of that decision. 
For days, crowds gathered outside the U.S. High Court, both for and against, as they came to a clash on Friday morning following the announcement. Those who are advocates for abortion fear that this is going to cause irreparable harm to women around the country, impacting those in low-income families and people of color. those who are opponents of abortion say this is going to protect the rights of unborn children, which is a common argument echoed by Republican lawmakers and by religious groups in the United States. Now, just hours after this decision came down, U.S. President Joe Biden addressed the nation, highlighting what he believes to be extreme moves by the justices, while promising to stand in the way of lawmakers who themselves try to stand in the way of a woman looking to gain access to an abortion. The women have the power to control their own destiny and it reinforced a fundamental right of privacy, the right of each of us to choose how to live our lives. Now, with Roe gone, let's be very clear. The health and life of women in this nation are now at risk. Roughly half of all states will put some form of ban or restriction on abortion in place. And in 13 states, trigger laws will be enacted that could make abortion illegal within the next 30 days. But there are growing fears, not just here in Washington, but around the United States, that this decision to overturn Roe versus Wade could start to strip away the rights of more and more Americans after a conservative-leaning justice hinted that things like same-sex marriage and access to contraception aren't actually enshrined into the Constitution, rather that they are interpretations. Meaning, this quest to protect and maintain rights across the United States for people remains an uphill battle. Reggie Chikini, Global News, Washington. Keith Baldry joins us now with more on this. Keith, it might be helpful just to take a look at which states in the U.S. have mm -hmm. protected access to abortions and which states do not. Yeah, it's a real checkerboard, I tell you, as a result of that ruling. Just like that, uh, the, all the states are going to be color, uh, colored different colors in the map I'm going to show you. Five different categories of the states fall in. So take a look at this. Uh, so the green states are those where abortion services are offered, pro-choice states. On the West Coast, Washington, California, Oregon, and Nevada. And on the northeast corner there, New England, New, uh, New York, and other states there. The red states in the middle there, they're a complete ban on abortion services as a result of today's ruling. The orange Orange states, Texas and, and Arkansas, are states that are leaning towards having bans in place in the future. Uh, the gray states are where there's actual bans that are in existence right now, but they're not being enforced, and they could very well be enforced as a result of today's rulings. The blue states, uh, unclear yet which way they're going to go. So it's about a half, 50-50 proposition here, uh, Chris. Again, about half the states will likely uh, deny uh, any abortion services, and about half seem to be trending towards offering them. But again, many women particularly in some of those red and orange states, impoverished women, women uh, in minorities are going to have to travel uh, potentially great distances if they want to access abortion services that are about to be denied in their state. As I say, a checkerboard that could change in the midterm mm -hmm. elections, uh, depending on which parties control the state legislature there, the abortion laws could change now because the states will now have control over that particular medical service within their boundaries. It's amazing when you look at someone in Louisiana or southern Texas would have to travel hundreds mm -hmm if not close to 1,000 miles, yeah. to be able to get an abortion if they needed one. All right, what if Americans were to travel to this province for an abortion? What steps would they have to take? 
Well, they'd be like any other foreign tourist in terms of trying to access uh, medical services within our healthcare system. So whether it's abortion or any other medical procedure, if you're not covered under MSP, part of our insurance plan, you have to pay out of pocket. In this case, according to Every Woman's Health Clinic on their website, it's sev about $785 is the fee for a medical abortion if you're not covered by MSP, which means any Americans traveling potentially from places like Idaho, which is going to ban abortions outright. An analysis in Seattle Times newspaper today suggests the number of people traveling to Washington Washington State from Idaho could hit uh, an increase of 385% over and above what is currently offered. So there's going to be a lot of travel going on, again, amongst people who are in least position to afford it. True. All right. Thanks very much, Keith. Appreciate that. Now, it's important to know that the right to an abortion is constitutionally protected in Canada, but advocates say there are still significant obstacles for many women in B.C. John Waugh reports on the urban-rural divide when it comes to access. As many watching from this side of the border react to the overturning of Roe versus Wade with a collective gasp. What has happened in the United States will embolden people here to potentially, you know, harm patients, harm providers. There are people here who say there are plenty of gaps in the Canadian system. And in particular, British Columbia has a long way to go. I think there is the difficulty in terms of access to abortion care, specifically related to the geography of this province. When looking at the total number of abortion service providers across Canada, a closer look at the top three provinces with the greatest access also shows a significant urban-rural divide. The greatest difference in British Columbia. Out of 24 access points in the province, there is only one rural option. People who are already the most marginalized by the things we have placed in our society are the ones who are suffering at the hands of not being able to access, you know, the same reproductive health care as people in the lower mainland are. On top of having to travel to urban centres, there is also the added cost of accommodations for several days. Action Canada for Sexual Health and Rights does offer funding, but the need is often too great. The money that we have only goes so far and for a few people. There are so many who still need that access. In a tweet, B.C. Premier John Horgan hearing the calls for more action, writing, there's more work to do, especially to improve access in northern and rural areas. For folks needing uh, surgical abortions, that remains a challenge in pockets in our province. And so uh, there continues to need to be work done. This piece goes hand in hand with universal access to contraception. While pro-choice advocates say there is plenty to be proud of when it comes to the protected rights in Canada, the unsettling picture south of the border should be an added push to do more. John Hua, Global News. Some say it's time for Vancouver to shed the label of no fun city. The mayor is announcing a plan for a nightmare to keep the party going long after dark. What's in it and can it really restore good times when the sun goes down? That's next on the news hour. Summer bummer at some local beaches. Why you aren't advised to go for a swim no matter how refreshing it might look in the heat later. And Coco the Yorkie pup says not today when it looked like it would be lunch for a bald eagle. That story coming up later. But right now, Vancouver is hoping to take nightlife to the next level with a new initiative that would see the city get its own version of a nightmare. People in the tourism, hospitality and arts and culture industries say it's a step in the right direction. But as Imadagahi reports, there are still some questions about how it's going to work. The pandemic was a fun sucker and we've got to crank up the fun and, and have a great time. <laughs> 
The creation of an office for the nighttime economy, perhaps better described as a nightmare or an advocate for Vancouver's nightlife and everyone working in it. Vancouver's hospitality industry, the nighttime portion of it, contributes three quarters of a billion dollars to this economy and employs tens of thousands of people. The plan is this, to hire someone full-time to advocate for business in the city during the evening hours, sometimes called the other nine to five. The nightclubs, the bars, hotels, concerts, just to name a few. A central point of contact for industry, for the municipality, as well as for residents to talk about what is it that we want our nighttime economy to be. We definitely need adequate transit. We need to make sure that everyone is you know, safe. Jeff Gunnard says the industry is encouraged that perhaps this nightmare can take leadership in pushing for things like 24-7 transit. Even though the conversations around SkyTrain overnight still remain a non-starter. We use that window right now to do maintenance uh, out on our tracks. And so um, uh, without uh, really severely inconveniencing other folks on on weekdays by limiting SkyTrain service, uh, we believe we have the most efficient service out there uh, right now. Having larger crowds come into the into the city will obviously create more calls for service. So uh, we will take some time to have a closer look at this um, proposal. This was also a re-election campaign-style announcement from Mayor Kennedy Stewart. So I'm so excited to see what this new office can do. That some have taken exception to. Again, it's a political move by the mayor, something that he's putting up as part of his election platform um, and saying, you know, vote for me and then I'll bring this forward. But this is something council has wanted to do for three years. Especially after the councillor who originally proposed the idea in 2019, Lisa Dominato, was not part of the announcement. Emadagahi, Global News. No end in sight to the passport backlog. How long have you guys been here? The agonizing wait for simple paperwork and what the people in charge say about it. The special stories that shape our province, as suggested by our viewers. This is BC with Jay Durant. Real people, real stories. This is BC with Jay Durant is brought to you in part by Van Cam Freightways, BC owned and operated for 75 years. The passport nightmare continues for hundreds of British Columbians staring down a deadline. In some cases, counting only hours until their plane is set to take off still without their paperwork. As Aaron MacArthur reports, even people who say they applied months ago find themselves camping out overnight. Pop down a chair and wait. How long have you guys been here? We've been here since quarter to eight. By 11.45 Thursday night, the lineup out front of the Bay Center in Victoria was dozens of people deep. Those at the front of the line setting up camp spending two nights in the cold, just expediting passports they applied for months ago. First time was February 22nd, but I messed up the application, so the proper, fully complete application April 22nd. The federal government has maintained that most people who apply for passports in person will get them within 10 days. What that doesn't include are tens of thousands of Canadians that mailed in their applications, as instructed only to find out their applications are sitting in a mailroom waiting for a clerk to input the data. As flights get closer, people are forced to camp out to have their documents transferred. In Victoria, the transfer clients fully booked an hour after opening. Everyone else told to come back later. Around BC, a similar story. 
some of the longest waits in Surrey. But to be honest, my hopes are not high of getting in. So this is my third day since morning, 7 o'clock. I'm with this gentleman here. And now we're patiently waiting to see if we're going to be go to go to Mexico tomorrow. Yeah. <laughs> we asked the government for answers about the crush of mail-in applications. The statement from the department responsible parrots what people have figured out to do on their own. The ministry says if you're traveling between 3 and 45 days, wait in line. There's no easy solution here. There's a lot of work that has been done and there's a lot more work that needs to be done. This backlog will slowly fade away, but not before thousands of people are out of pocket for missed trips because their passports are covered in red tape. Aaron MacArthur, Global News. Just ahead, a major study of vaccines and why some Canadian parents can't wait. It's one of those almost like whisper network things, you know, where people are going to pass it along to friends and they're going to make these these plans to go down there. How some families are making travel plans to get their younger children vaccinated in the U.S. And a bald eagle picks the wrong target. How Coco the Yorkie survived later. Canadian children five years old and under still don't have access to protection against COVID-19 from vaccines. Some parents say things aren't moving fast enough here in Canada and they're unwilling to wait. As Morgan Black shows us, some are making a run for the border to get it done quicker. David Cloutier is planning a family road trip to Montana. It's not a vacation, but he says it will bring some much needed relief. We are planning on heading to the States to uh, get our children aged almost three and almost one vaccinated against COVID-19. In the United States, COVID-19 vaccinations have begun for kids under five, but not yet in Canada, as Health Canada reviews Moderna's pediatric vaccine. As Alberta public health restrictions faded, the Calgary dad became more worried and started making calls to the States. We've been following where things are at with um, NACI and uh, Health Canada, uh, and we're just not seeing the progress. Sarah Mackey is part of Vaccine Hunters Alberta, a group that helps connect people to COVID-19 resources. She says many parents with young kids are searching for their own ways to protect their children as the province returns to normal. They're still constantly juggling, you know, uh, daycare closures or childcare crises or every little sniffle that your three-year-old picks up at daycare. Cloutier says he's heard from other parents who have already made their way down to a clinic in the States to vaccinate their child. It's one of those almost like whisper network things, you know, where people are going to pass it along to friends and they're going to make these these plans to go down there. Dr. Cora Constantinescu says this choice is personal, but it shows how desperate some parents have become throughout the pandemic. So it shows you that um, when this will be available in Canada, there'll be a huge relief for a lot of parents and how desperate parents are to protect their children. After years of waiting for a pediatric dose, Cloutier is looking forward to this upcoming medical mission. Having one more tool for our kids to be protected against COVID is going to relieve a lot of stress and anxiety on our part. The family may head to Montana as soon as this weekend. Morgan Black, Global News. And new research is revealing how many lives have been saved worldwide because of COVID-19 vaccines, and that number is well into the millions. However, by highlighting where the majority of these deaths were prevented, it's revealing a glaring inequity in who vaccines have saved. Previous studies show COVID-19 vaccines can protect against severe illness, hospitalization, and death. 
Now new research reveals nearly 20 million lives were saved in the year following the vaccination rollout. That is just a remarkable number and it's you know the core reason why many higher income countries have been able to relax many of the interventions that they've had in place for the past two years and return to a new state of normal in this pandemic. The study, based on data from 185 countries and territories, was published in The Lancet Infectious Diseases. Dr. Oliver Watson from Imperial College London says most of the deaths prevented were in high- and middle-income countries, which calls attention to inequalities in access to vaccines. Are there, are there any countries that still don't have enough vaccines? Many. There are many countries that still do not have enough vaccines across the world. We must do better in the next pandemic. So much more could have been done if vaccines had been distributed more equitably and faster across the world. Dr. Watson also stresses that getting shots into as many arms as possible worldwide could have limited the outbreak of new variants. Ian Lee, CBS News, London. Just ahead, you might have to find a different way to cool off. Just as the summer heat arrives, why swimming is not recommended at some local beaches. Now that real summer weather is finally here, it might be tempting to take a dip at one of the beaches around Metro Vancouver. But Vancouver Coastal Health is warning high E. coli levels are making swimming dangerous at four popular spots. The water at Trout Lake, English Bay Beach, Locarno Beach and Sandy Beach on Bowen Island has dangerous levels of E. coli. Those beaches are now considered not safe for swimming. E. coli-contaminated water can cause stomach cramps, nausea, and skin irritation. You can check the Vancouver Coastal Health website for the latest water quality reports. Hate to be the bearer of bad news, especially when it's warming up the way it is. We'll check in with Christy again for a look at the forecast this weekend. Christy? Yeah, certainly a tough go because I know a lot of people want to get into the water. A lot of people want to get into the backcountry. Also, Chris, it's a good time to remind everyone that if there's any cornices out there, you know, there's still a lot of snow to come down. And so make sure you're really careful. There is some instability out there. Uh, I showed this graphic a couple of days ago. I just want to show you once again in case you missed it, just to give you perspective of uh, the difference between what we saw last year and what we're going to see this year. So Lytton hit 49.6 degrees. This year, they're only going to see 36. So significant. Uh, difference as you can see more than 10 degrees and that's the same for inland metro vancouver last year 41.4 this year 32 and then the other part is that the temperatures at night will be cooler so 15 degrees in metro vancouver will allow us to recover at night 21 that you can see in Lytton there is really just for one day but most other days it will be a little bit cooler now these are the daytime highs today uh in metro vancouver it wasn't too hot although it felt really nice i'll tell you the sunshine on me right now now is certainly uh, terrific, but it's really Saturday, Sunday, and Monday that we'll see the real hot, uh, the real heat, with the peak of the heat expected on Sunday at 32, and then we'll go, we're going to see a significant drop-off on Tuesday uh, down to 22 degrees, so it'll be a 10-degree difference likely on Tuesday. Those of you in the interior, these are your numbers right now, and you can expect these to increase by a good 10 degrees more, so Lytton expecting up to 36 come Monday. Again, the interior regions, the peak of your heat will be on Monday. So 
So it'll be a slow climb towards that. There's your Saturday temperatures. The far north, a risk of thunderstorms in the afternoon. By the way, when this heat wave is expected, or heat spell is expected to end on Tuesday, we are expecting significant rain and thunderstorms. So a heads up on that. But in the meantime, enjoy the warmth over the weekend right into our Monday. Again, temperatures away from the water up to 30 degrees tomorrow. Here's tonight's central windows weather window. This is a shot from last night. We had a thunderstorm cell that moved across the North Shore. And this is a view of it uh, from Burnaby Lake, where there's a gorgeous rainbow. Thank you to Colin Klassen for that. All right, Chris, back to you. Reflected in the water, too. That's awesome. Thanks a lot, Christy. And thanks, Colin, for sending that in. Now, some stunning video of a close call between a Yorkie and a bald eagle in a B.C. yard. Take a look. You can see Coco, an eight-month-old Yorkie, in the bottom right on the deck. A bald eagle swoops in and grabs Coco before flying out of view. A few seconds later, Coco escapes, and we see her sprint back to the porch. The incident in a small village west of Prince Rupert was all captured by the home's doorbell camera earlier this month. Our, first, our daughter screamed because she was upstairs and she seen the eagle go by her window. So she ran and looked out and she yelled down to us to open the door. And then we opened the door and then, yeah, Coco came running in. Coco was injured, but after three days of vet care and a surgery, she is back to running outside like nothing even happened and the family could not be happier. So hopefully the eagles stay away. Pretty tough little dog. Tiny little Yorkie like that. All right, here's Squire with a look ahead to sports. He made some sort of move. Mm-hmm. Got back in the house for a date. Okay, so the Canucks have added more people to their front office. They have a lot and their scouting staff, but they still haven't added a new assistant coach. I think we have really a timetable here. I think, um, you know, Bruce and I are daily looking into options. Canucks have not really replaced Scott Walker, who left after last season. We will hear about... A former Canuck who's been brought in by Alvin as an advisor as well. All right, sounds good. Thanks. And satellite debris even the kids will love. No way I'm trying this. Really? No way. Squires here with sports. All right, thank you very much. The Vancouver Canucks might actually lead the NHL in assistant general managers. They now have four helping out GM Patrick Alvin. Emily Castingay, Cami Granato, Derek Clancy, and Ryan Johnson, who will still be the general manager of the Abbotsford Canucks, but he got a promotion today. The Canucks have also brought in some more former Pittsburgh Penguins to help out. Scott Young is now the director of player personnel. He spent five years with Pittsburgh. And Frank Golden, another former Penguin, will be part of the Canucks scouting staff. As well, Mark Crawford's son Dylan will be the new video coach. But the biggest name added by the Canucks today is Dale Talon as a senior advisor. He, of course, was a GM in Chicago and Florida, and way before that was the Canucks' first ever draft pick in 1970. I think Dale comes from, you know, he's, he's quite experienced there uh, building uh, winning clubs in, in Florida and uh, in Chicago, um, being a first overall pick here from Vancouver as well. So I felt that that when, when he was available, uh, that he could really help uh, help our team here moving forward. And while the Canucks have added yet more to their front office and scouting department, they have yet to replace Scott Walker as an assistant coach to Bruce Boudreaux. As I said before, I, I don't I don't think we have a, a really set the timeline for it. Bruce and I are communicating, and and we we following up on on 
kind of daily basis here and see what's available and if there is a right fit. Uh, um, and if there is a right fit, I believe we will add a, add a person, but uh, we're not going to force anything at this, at this point. Well, Gabriel Landeskog hoists the Stanley Cup first tonight. He will if Colorado wins in game number five, but the Lightning get goal number one in this game. Unlikely source, Jan Ruda scores his first to make it one nothing, and that's the way it was after 20 minutes. Oop, a little bit of a knuckleball from Makar fools. Vasilevsky and lands right at the feet of Valerie Nachuskin, who's been scoring like crazy. That's his ninth in the playoffs, 1-1, but a four-on-three power play, and these are usually money. It's uh, Nikita Kucherov scoring, and it's 2-1 Tampa. They have to win three in a row to keep the cup. When you uh, think of Canadian sprinting right now, the first name that comes to mind is obviously Andre de Grasse, and there are both, well, actually, not just both. There are gold, silver, and bronze reasons to think that. But as every great sprinter knows, there's always someone trying to catch up to you. And in this country, it's BC's Jerome Blake, who will be one of the big names at this weekend's Canadian Track and Field Championships in Langley. Lane six will be our second Canadian, Jerome Blake. For a guy who didn't start competitive sprinting until he was 16, Jerome Blake is making up for lost time. Now 26, Blake has clocked personal bests in both the 100 and 200 at international meets in the past couple of months, beating a former world champ and other top-ranked sprinters in the process. And it is a victory for Canada. Jerome Blake just... With being consistent, the times are going to come. I've, you know, I've been having a great season so far, but I, and I know there's a lot more left in the tank, so I'm super excited to just continue my season and see what, see what my body can give me for the rest of the year. Blake was part of Canada's 4x100 relay team in Tokyo that won bronze on the track, but it was upgraded to silver after Great Britain was disqualified for a doping violation. He's run in the shadow of teammates Andre de Grasse and Aaron Brown, but getting that Olympic medal does elevate your status in the track world. Having an Olympic medal now, so everyone look at you different. you got to come ready to run all the time because, you know, the people below you who haven't really gotten that opportunity to get an Olympic medal and stuff like that, they're coming up and they want that opportunity. So you really have to be on top of your game all the time. Blake was born in Jamaica but moved to Kelowna in 2013 and BC has been home ever since. He's won a Canada Games gold in 2017 and silver at the Harry Jerome Classic in 2019. And this weekend he'll race in Langley for the Canadian title in what's essentially a home game for him. I ran here when the track was actually red in high school, and I ran 10-3 here, so, you know, I'm very excited to, you know, be here and be one of those guys as well, so definitely going to push the pace and see what we can do this weekend. It all sets up for the World Championships next month in Oregon. Blake is now ranked 24th in the world after clocking a personal best 10 seconds flat in the 100. Only four Canadian men have ever run faster in our history, which begs the question, how fast can he go? I can't even tell you that because I don't even know. I'm just going to push the limits and see how far we can go. My coach always say, you know, we've built a race car, so you got to drive it properly. So at this point I'm strapped in and you know I'm, I'm ready to go so we'll see what happens. Canada Cup softball from last night. Canada against Mexico and the Canadians won this by the score of 8-1. to one. Kiana Jones driving in Allison Fabre here in the sixth inning. Canada still unbeaten. They will play the U.S. tonight. Softball all this weekend at Softball City and it's high quality ball to mm-hmm. be sure. And speaking of high quality ball tomorrow BC Place, Lions and Argos 7 o'clock. There you go. Can they improve on perfection? I guess we'll find out. All right, satellite debris coming up next. Thanks, Square.
Sarah McDonald is on the desk tonight, stops by with a preview of what's coming up on Global News at 11. Sarah? That's right, Chris. We are keeping an eye on rising water levels in the Fraser Valley tonight with some properties in Chilliwack now under alert as we head into the weekend. Plus, what happened here? This video just into our newsroom from a Global News viewer of an apparent emergency landing involving a small aircraft yesterday. We'll tell you where it happened and what happened here. And Squire joins us with the highlights from Game 5 of the Stanley Cup Finals, which could see Colorado take the cup tonight if they win. That's all coming up at 11. Chris. All right. Tampa Bay has a lot to say about it mm -hmm. still, though. But thanks very much, Sarah. No doubt about it. And Squire's got satellite debris coming up right after this as well. Stay tuned. Oh, we can oh do is it now? It now? Yeah, it is now. now. Sorry, I thought we had did one you, more did break. Did you want to go to the washroom or something? No, no, no let's okay. do it. Okay. I thought, oh, yeah. No, okay, let's you. do it now then. All right. So the first one up is, um, is from MG, an SUV commercial. Here we go. <laughs> Ambient light, balloon kitties. Monokie hawa. Set airbags, blind spot detector. MGHS, the SUV, the TRB. That would be amazing. It, an MG. <laughs> yeah. Do that. Okay. Uh, we'll stay with the uh, car theme here. This one was actually from a few years ago, but I thought, ah, let's watch it again. It was funny. Mm -hmm. Here we go. Classic car, too. 
Uh, Hi-Ho does a lot of um, fun videos you can see on YouTube, and a lot of times they'll use kids and get the kids to do things or try things out. In this one, the kids are asked to try out exotic fruits. We picked one of the exotic fruits they tried out. Here we go. <laughs> No way I'm trying this. Really? No way. It has healing factors. It's got lots of vitamin A in it. Don't worry, um, I already have all the vitamins I need. <gasps> cool! I'm trying it now. Smell it, what does it smell like? Nothing. It's really, really, really sour. Sour and good. I love it. It's yucky, but I'm gonna swallow. What is it called? Uh, that's called the horned melon. The horned melon? A horned. A horned melon. It's also the African cucumber. I love it. I love the African cucumber. Dad, can you take this home? In another one, they cut open a durian for the children. Oh. And if you've ever been around a durian when it's cut open, you know, is they say the you have to have smells? an acquired, it's, you know, they say, oh, you should have an acquired taste. This is an acquired smell ah. as well as taste, yeah. I'll take the, I'll take the, the horned cucumber or whatever that thing was. Look a horned good. melon. The horned melon. Horned melon. <laughs> Kids are nothing if not honest about what they're eating. Am I right, Christy? Oh my gosh. Even if just to give him, I actually gave my son a birthday present tonight. He's like, yeah, it's, not, it's not my favorite. <laughs> well, there <laughs> you go. Very honest. That's good. Honestly, it's going to be hot <laughs> this weekend, though. Yeah, absolutely. So we're talking about 32 degrees away from the water by Sunday. So definitely enjoy the warmth, everyone, but keep safe. All right. Thanks very much, Christy. Have a great weekend, everybody.